You're listening to On the Other Hand, bringing you different perspectives for everyday problems. I'm one of your hosts, Julia Meadows. For our eighth episode, Christopher Levant is back with more commentary on current American politics, this time examining the bizarre distortion of reality in Donald Trump's mind. Listen and enjoy. Speechless. When words are not enough. Come to my church before 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and you'll meet Lucas. He's always here and always looking for help. As far as I know, Lucas doesn't frequent shelters or hostels. Too scary, he says. I get beat up in places like that. That said, I did hear that last night he was at the out of the cold, so who knows? By his own admission, Lucas is never able to keep a job. He's been in and out of jail, and among all those who walk our street corner, he has the unique gift of rubbing everyone the wrong way, even and especially the people he hits up for assistance. I'm one of the latter. Never having enough money and always planning to make a better life around the next corner when he lands on his feet or he gets people to stop cheating him, Lucas shows up at church hungry and anxious, unable to sit down. One moment he wants something to eat. I'm dying here, he says. And the next he refuses the sandwich I make for him because he'll get sick if he eats anything. A troubled soul, to put it mildly. Unfortunately, Lucas can be aggressive in his manner and so people find him intimidating. How many times have I tried to calm troubled waters? His most recent fights have been provocative enough that I have had to set some pretty serious boundaries, warning him often. Now we have a plan. Lucas, here's the deal. You cannot break these two rules. One, no going in the kitchen. Two, no rummaging through the fridge for something to eat. Lucas, do you agree? I ask, making eye contact and holding his gaze. Yeah, whatever, he replies, affronted that I would even have to ask. Can I still come here? Of course, I assure him, but no going in the kitchen. Got it. So we don't turn Lucas away and he comes back every Sunday morning and there's always food in the fridge and we're ready and willing to make Lucas whatever he needs so he can be satisfied. So last Sunday, I arrived at church early to find Lucas coming out of the kitchen. He'd obviously been rummaging through the fridges looking for something to eat. You're not allowed in the kitchen, I remind him. And he looks at me dismayed and retorts, I wasn't in the kitchen. Come on, Lucas, I reply kindly. I just saw you in there. He responds loudly like a wounded innocent. How can you say that? I have not been in the kitchen. Why is everybody against me? I wasn't in the effing kitchen. Speechless. Lucas defies understanding. He, he leaves me speechless. What do you say to someone who boldly refuses to accept reality or acknowledge the primacy of indisputable fact? There's no point arguing or shouting. Lucas doesn't get it. His, his world is what he makes up. Jeffrey Frank, a senior writer for The New Yorker, calls this full Orwell after the author of 1984. Like the novel, Lucas has left the realm of facts behind and entered a surreal sphere where traditional logic does not hold sway. For him, war is peace, rain falls up, freedom is slavery, the Holocaust never happened. 
There's no holding Lucas to the account for his actions or his words or his values because whatever it is, he didn't do it or say it, it's never true. Once I found him with one of my scones in his hand, half eaten. He's got a mouth full of crumbs. Do you enjoy the scone, I ask? I can't eat that, he says, chewing while looking at the scone that he has just put in his mouth. These things make me sick. <laughs> I shake my head. I mean, there's, there's no winning here. Lucas is a chronic pretender. He makes up his reality. While that's not so strange, I mean, everyone has daydreams from time to time, living in the what-if frame of mind, but Lucas actually believes his fantasies. He believes them implicitly and completely. And to make things all the more troubling, his truth is always changing. It's a dynamic animal. You can never tell on what side of the fence he'll land. Yes, I did it. No, I didn't. <laughs> Speechless. You'd be speechless too. Now, does any of this sound familiar? Over the past few weeks, we have awakened to the consequences of a sitting president who, like Lucas, relies solely and completely on his own perception of reality. Don't bother me with the facts, or the alternate facts for that matter. My mind is made up. All the empty bandstands notwithstanding, the crowd size at his inauguration was tremendous. 1.5 million people. Show him a video clip, do an aerial analysis. It doesn't matter. If Trump says it was the biggest crowd ever, well, it, it just was that. There's no response to a president who makes stuff up. Whether it's the plotting of the media, the three million fraudulent voters, the number of jobs he'll create with a new pipeline, there seems no way to pin the president down to empirical data. The world is as he sees it and as he says it. It seems the White House has transformed itself into a bizarre reality show where the ratings are the reality where the host goes out of his way to say the most outlandish thing in the hope of bumping up viewership. Last Friday night, I listened to Trump's press secretary defending his now notorious travel ban by referencing a massacre that did not happen and berating the audience for not remembering that Obama had imposed a similar ban, a fact, she said, that most of us had not known. Of course, the reason that no one knew about Obama's travel ban is that it never took place. Ah, picky, picky. Don't let a little mistake get in the way of the story that plays well in a 15-second news bite. The press secretary later apologized, but showed little remorse for having uttered two falsehoods in as many seconds on national television. I mean, is embarrassment out of fashion too? And with Trump in the driver's seat, we have crossed the line between lived reality and personal preference as a gauge of truth. A case in point is Trump's recent reference to the bad things that are happening in Sweden. And no one, particularly the Swedes themselves, can figure out what he meant by that. What actually is this bad thing? And how did it happen in Sweden? It's an utter fiction. Speechless. We're left speechless. CBS's Scott Pelley recently began his evening broadcast in a way that no evening news in America has ever begun. He said this, quotes, It has been a busy day for presidential statements divorced from reality. End quotes. Can you imagine? It's ast that's astounding. A national, very reputable news agency beginning its flagship program with a bald statement about a city president who has lost touch with the here and now. 
And how do we imagine we can have a meaningful dialogue with our partner in the conversation if that partner is living in his own alternate universe? The disconnect becomes even more dismaying when the other person, in this case Donald Trump, has the power to act on his perverted perception of the world, the travel ban being the most devastating act to date. I mean, personal paranoia in the Oval Office becomes punishment for millions of innocent people. We're speechless. Words are not enough. In the light of the president's thin skin, his vindictive and very public anger against anyone who threatens his perception of the world, take note the recent phone call with the Prime Minister of Australia, at first I thought that our Prime Minister was being quite astute when he did not confront the U.S. administration's assertions directly. He, he refused to be drawn into a pissing contest over the consequences of Trump's executive orders to ban citizens from certain Muslim countries. I mean, you don't poke a hornet's nest, you can't win with crazies, there's plenty of kitchen wisdom to back him up. Trudeau did the right thing when, in response to the travel ban, he tweeted that Canada welcomes refugees. Take the high ground, a consummate statesman. Best not to provoke the president, who views any criticism of his ideas as a personal betrayal. So, well done, Justin. Or, or was it Joe? CNN repeated and replayed Trudeau's tweet every hour on the hour for days. And you could say that Trudeau was just being very nice or very polite or very Canadian, and you'd be right. But I'm left with a sinking feeling that it doesn't really matter. Words, even polite ones, are of little use or consequence in the current context in posturing ourselves not to directly antagonize the president. Have we not simply neutralized ourselves, turned marshmallow? However, as the train wreck in Washington continues to claim victims, I've grown restless. Quiet diplomacy and the power of positive thinking seem not to make a dent in the administration down south. And the longer we live with a falsehood-fashioning show-host president, the more we lose. As demonstrations across the country indicate, it's time for our Teletubby selfie-loving Prime Minister to find some backbone. Surely there is more we can do than claim we are protecting Canada's economic interests by not confronting or condemning directly the leaders of our largest trading partner. I don't mean name-calling. There's no point in moralisms or scolding another country about its domestic policies, real or imagined. There's nothing to be gained by leveling accusations of fascism, as Thomas Mulcair suggests. May be true, of course, but besides the point, do we really imagine we can have a rational debate over the relative merits of alt-right politics versus liberal individualism? There was a Labour member of the British Parliament, Yvette Cooper, who argued that her foreign minister, Boris Johnson, should, for the sake of history and for heaven's sake, have the guts to speak out. And while that sounds like great stuff, stand tall, make Trump listen, all this tough talk assumes that everyone lives on the same planet, and we don't. We are at a serious impasse in our political and social life on this continent. Full Orwell has taken over. And when Trump was sworn in as the 45th president, the empire enthroned chaos that even he cannot control. I feel that truth is on the chopping block. Nothing is real or lasting. And the longer the president fabricates facts and lies to himself and others, the harder it will be to sustain faith in veracity. Truth becomes a matter of choice, or as Orwell suggests, mind control, when he writes, quotes, 
For after all, how do we know that two and two make four, or that the force of gravity works, or that the past is unchangeable? If both the past and the external world exist only in the mind, and if the mind is controllable, what then? End quotes. What then indeed? If the greatest authority in the land can shape the world to suit our theories and adapt any fact to dovetail with our ideological perspective, how do we hold anyone to account for anything? How do I teach my children about truth or hold our justice system to account? There are no checks or balances any longer. And when the president does not at least pretend to accept that two plus two equals four, we are lost. Meaning is impossible and we have, as some economists, journalists and others have already suggested, created a dictatorship. Apart from stating the obvious and fighting strenuously for the rule of facts and the reign of law, establishing websites and user groups that sustain a scientific and verifiable database of information, we will be better served not by words, but by firm action. Not vindictive, nor punitive, but tenacious nonetheless. I'm not a politician, but I can make a stab at suggesting a start, a start that has been argued by many lawyers and others to date. Canada can signal clearly our refusal to abide by the prejudices and the hate wave being institutionalized south of the border. Let us revoke the safe third country agreement between Canada and the United States. Currently, asylum seekers in the U.S. must make their refugee claim to enter Canada from the U.S. instead of Canada, since we assume the U.S. is a safe country no longer. Let's take a stand and admit to ourselves at least, if not the world, that our closest ally and neighbor is currently not to be trusted. It pains us to say it, I know. I know we'd, we'd rather be nice, not cause a stir. But alas, that time is past. For on the other hand, this is Christopher Levan. Thank you for listening to episode 8 of On the Other Hand. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to check out previous episodes of the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play Music. Go to our Facebook page and give it a like if you want to keep up to date with our uploads and updates. The link for it can be found on our SoundCloud profile. Once again, this was episode 8 of On the Other Hand. Thank you.